0: The Energy Transition Podcast takes you directly to the cutting edge of the global energy sector's shift, with a specific focus on the critical role played by oil and gas, as well as the pathways developing around a lower carbon future. Your hosts, Leslie Beyer, Energy Workforce and Technology Council CEO, and Dan Pickering, founder of Pickering Energy Partners, are joined by Josh Lowry, president of Upright Digital, Each episode engages industry thought leaders in an exploration of market-moving trends and topics, including new technologies, ESG, capital markets, inclusion and diversity, workforce innovation, regulatory influences, and the voice of the people. Join us as the Energy Transition podcast looks at the state of the traditional energy and oilfield service sectors, Emerging technologies, and the path ahead in a world of lower carbon energy development.
1: Welcome to the Energy and Transition Podcast. My name is Josh Lowry. We are coming to you live from the Upright Digital Studios in Houston, Texas. I am joined, as usual, with the co host extraordinaire, Mr. Dan Pickering. Dan, how are you, sir?
2: I am doing great. I just came back from a Four days of basketball total immersion. I went to Greensboro, North Carolina and watched March Madness. Nice. So I watched uh, Friday and Sunday games. Okay. Saw Kansas State and Xavier come out of that regional. And so you put March Madness together with Bank Madness and it has been a busy last 10 days.
1: Uh, How's your bracket doing?
2: I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. I want to talk about the fun that I had. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you? Mm-hmm.
1: What's going on? Um, well, my bracket is, uh, I've got Houston in it still. So that's one. Uh, everybody else is out, I believe. Um, life is good. We took the kids uh, skiing, snowboarding for, spring, for break, spring break, which is a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah. We put my little 10-year-old girl on a snowboard, and she cried for two days, and she finally got it. So I, I think the permanent damage that I was hoping wouldn't be done is, is not going to be done. So that was great. Um, but yeah, just life is, we are in a sweet time in life and trying to enjoy it. I, I got really deep on this. I don't, I didn't expect to go that deep, but honestly, the, uh, the snowboarding with my daughter, I spent a lot of time with her on the mountain, uh-huh. just her and I, Yeah. and you know, normally it's my son and I, and it just to see her kind of break through was awesome. So really enjoyed the That's spring great. break time. Yeah, it was fun. So she's, she, she kind of pushed through and came out of it. Uh, she lost a tooth at the same time. So she comes out with this tooth and she's like, I'm just so proud of myself. (laughs) So really good time on spring break. It's good to see you. I'm glad you had a great time and and watching some March matches. Did you go over with your wife as well?
2: Uh, no, this was a guy's trip. Yeah. That's, I
1: I don't, that's a lot of basketball.
2: Yes. If, if you, if you think about everything you imagine on a guy's trip, we had it poker beer, late nights. You look great. Bad food. I guess we are in the middle of the week here. So you've had some recovery
1: time. I've been recovering. Yeah. Well, good. Yes. Well, I, if I sound, do I sound a little nervous? I'm a little hyped up on caffeine per the usual, but do I sound a little excited?
2: Are you excited and nervous? Because why?
1: Well, we have four people in the room today, which is not normal. We usually just have three. I've done more research for today than I've ever done. So I'm either going to blow this or I'm going to just hit a home run. We're about to see TBD.
2: I think you're gonna hit a home run. I do too. And what do you want I to kick about? off? No. Or do you want me to kick yes, off?
1: Yes, you do this. This is okay. I, I just did my part.
2: All right, well, we're very lucky today to have two fabulous guests from Freestone. Um, Ellen Wilkerson, Alan Boswell, thanks for joining us. Um, as we try to do every time on the podcast, rather than me try to botch an, an intro, you guys get to intro yourself. So. Uh, tell us a little about you and Alan you go first now when we when we did this on the phone Your intro was you and the business just you because we got to get Alan in here And then we'll come back and talk the business
3: great. Well, first of all, thanks for having us really appreciate being here uh, Looking forward to the conversation. So yeah, Alan Boswell um, My background is in energy investing energy infrastructure investing um, and I I along with uh Ellen started Freestone about two years ago, and I'll hold off on Freestone. But uh, longtime Houstonian, been here since 2005, been in the energy business that entire time, and um, we've moved into the uh, energy transition space like a lot of other folks. so awesome. That's and the well, quick. One.
2: Before we before we move away from you, so you grew up in
3: Houston, or I'm a Fort Worth guy. Okay. So been here for almost 20 years.
2: Okay. But, Fabulous. Um, and where'd you go to school?
3: Went to uh, Princeton, so okay. l- March Madness. Ah, I'm the excited. yeah, the, that was very fun. Sweet 16 yeah. on Friday, That's um, great. and I also went to UT Law School.
2: Okay, fabulous. What about you, Ellen?
4: Hi, everyone. Uh, nice to see you guys. Excited to be here. Um, yeah, Ellen Wilkerson. I grew up in Houston, uh, so I'm a native Houstonian. Love it here, uh, never wanna leave. I'm very, very proud Houstonian. Uh, went to UT. Hookem Horns also in the Sweet 16. So, <laughs> That's Friday. You got a big um, weekend, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're playing Xavier on Friday, yeah. so yeah. um So sh- should be a really good game. Very excited about that. Love love Texas sports. Um, but yeah, grew up in Houston. Went to UT. Uh, have been in the energy industry on the investing and investment banking side for for several years now. Alan and I worked together previously at an alternative asset management firm and and got to know each other there. And so. It's been great to to get to reconnect and, and start Freestone and, and continue on our journey together.
1: Great. Have you guys ever done a podcast before?
4: Never done a podcast. Nope. First <laughs> point,
2: this And is, this is, I think, our first four-person podcast. So, I mean, we are... That's right. We are breaking ground like crazy right Well, now. this
1: is the premiere yeah. podcast. So, welcome. Yeah. This is... You can't... You're, everything you do after this is downhill. So. There we go. Yeah.
2: And, and for those listening in, um, if they want to kind of... Look at the website and understand you better as they're listening to the podcast. Uh, free, it's www.freestoneac.com. That's Is that yeah, right. That's right. Awesome. Good. So we'll come back to the where Where did the AC come yeah. from? Yeah. Um, but but tell us a little bit about Freestone, what you do. I know you've you've made a few investments. I want to hear about those. But tell us a little bit about the business first.
3: Yeah, sure. So um, Freestone is a partnership with Tailwater Capital, which is a private equity firm uh, that's based out of Dallas. And um, like a lot of other private equity funds that have focused in uh, traditional energy infrastructure investing, they've started to branch out into um, energy transition and try to find ways to play in that space. So they have a number of portfolio companies, um, probably. Close to half the active portfolio companies now are in some various form of energy transition, and Freestone is one of those. Our mandate um, is a bit different in that we're putting together a portfolio of minority investments, early stage kind of growth investments to, to help um, startup uh, energy transition companies, circular economy companies um, grow and get to the next stage. Um, overall, for Tailwater, the strategy, I guess, is once we, once we um, provide that growth to, for them to be able to come in and accelerate it with uh, bigger check sizes. Okay. So
2: And so, Ellen, what's, what's the ideal check size for you guys? And is it, are you a seed investor? Or are you a Series D investor? Everything in between?
4: Yeah, so I mean, we're pretty flexible on our check size, but we typically target anywhere from call it five on the very small side to twenty five million dollars, um, with the hope and the investment thesis, as Alan mentioned, that hey, let's put a little bit of money to work now and kind of continue to support the company throughout its life cycle, and then hopefully Tailwater can come in and say, okay, let's let's really put the pedal to the metal here, commercialize the technology, and really grow the business. Um, In terms of the stage of companies that we invest in you know i think a lot of people in the venture space like to use what we call alphabet soup Mm -hmm. to describe the the stage that they invest in um you know i'll I'll say we typically do invest in series a but rather than a specific does that
2: mean pre-revenue to you or
4: it it often does mean pre-revenue but Mm -hmm. typically the way we invest rather than by a certain stage is by technology readiness level which is a way to describe how ready or how mature a particular technology is.
2: And and so you've, so tell us a little bit more about that. So technology readiness. Um, I assume that the less ready it is, the higher the returns gotta be, the bigger the risk is. Is that the right way to think about it?
3: That's the right way to think about it. I mean, um for us and Tailwater, we're not looking to take extreme technology risk. Okay. Um, so how we look at it, at it is we wanna be at a technology readiness level where we feel like the main risks are more around market adoption, uh, commercial scale up, um, things that we're more um, capable of underwriting as, um, infrastructure uh, investors mm-hmm. versus, you know, none of us come from the technology space. And so we need to see it proven and, or at least um, through diligence can prove that it's it's working on a scale um, that's satisfactory to, to meet those those thresholds.
4: Okay. Yeah, and we can use our experience and and Tailwater's resources and Freestone's resources to, to underwrite and assess that risk with the experts that we have at our disposal. Mm-hmm
2: and you said none of us, us implies there's more than you two guys. I mean, how big is, is Freestone well, and then how big is Tailwater behind you?
3: Yeah, so there's three of us at Freestone. So we have one more um, uh, employee at Freestone and then uh, Tailwater's 40 something investor investment professionals. Mm-hmm. And then they also have some uh, an in-house technical team that uh, helps us in, in some cases as well.
1: Okay. And you, you mentioned bring the Companies along that you're investing in? Like, how involved are you with those companies? Yeah. So, I, I, mean, investments.
4: Yeah, I mean, on all of our current investments, we sit on the board of those companies. And so, you know, it depends on the maturity stage of the company, but. Venture is very different from private equity in the fact that these are often scientists that are founding the company. And so they often need a little bit more help on the business side mm-hmm. than maybe a, an experienced serial management team would in the public or private equity space. And so while it is a minority investment, we typically are on the phone with the, the CEOs and the management team, you know, at least monthly, if not if not more frequently than that and, and trying to help them connect them with the right people, um, as they mature through their, their life cycle. All right. Sure.
2: And so what areas delight do, like, do you like, and what areas do you not like? Cause energy transition is such a broad statement. What, what's exciting and what's not exciting for you guys?
3: So, so, you know, Ultimately, we're we're always looking at things that can evolve into an infrastructure-like uh, investment as they grow, and so um, we've really honed in on the waste to value space okay. um, as as something a, of interest. Um, but we continue to cast a pretty wide net because there's just all kinds. As as you guys know, um, having a, had a lot of folks on this podcast, there's a lot going on in this energy right. mm-hmm. transition space, and it's. The term itself is almost not apt to describe uh, everything that's going on in the space. So um, we continue to, to, to focus on on um, really looking at everything that comes our way. But so far, waste to value has mm-hmm. been, a, been a fruitful area for yeah. us.
2: And you, you said it can be infrastructure-like. What's that mean? It can scale up to the point where... At some point, you're putting lots of low risk dollars to work. Is that a
3: right? I mean, and in, in that there's an asset component to it. Um, you know, we're not necessarily um, looking for uh, you know software companies mm-hmm. or, or things like that. Um, so, yeah, that can, as you said, when you're putting more money to work behind it, that it starts to become de risk and it's something that can scale. Yeah. Yeah.
4: So, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say more broadly too. We really like to focus on areas where we feel very strongly about the macro Uh backdrop of of that sector. Obviously, Um. Um, we feel there are certain sectors within the energy transition that we know is going to be adopted. Lithium ion battery value chain, for example. We know that that's going to be a huge industry in in EVs, and so we've invested in a lithium-ion battery recycling business because we really like the macro there. Uh-huh. Um, you know, other industries that we see maybe regulatory risk, we, we tend to t- shy away from a little bit.
2: So, what give us an example of what that might be? Where are you worried about regulatory risk? Uh,
4: we see regulatory risk within you know low carbon fuels the hydrogen sector you know we think those are going to be massively adopted industries and they Mm -hmm. have been but for example in renewable natural gas we haven't done a lot of investing there because we see um we see there as being risk in the value of the molecule itself
2: the value of the molecule i mean so you think that forty dollar RNG gas might be twenty dollars RNG gas or exactly. five dollars RNG gas. Yeah, okay. Yeah, or we don't know. We don't know. We don't <laughs> know. We don't know.
3: Yeah, ultimately, it's um, hard for us to. A, a, that. a simpler way to put it is that we focus on things that are economic without subsidies.
2: Okay. Yep. Mm. That does eliminate a number of things right now. It does. Um, okay. And so, CCUS who we've had a lot of CCUS mm. guests on the podcast, that would be an area that doesn't really work right now without subsidies, right? Without tax credits.
3: Um, that's that's true. Um, and it's also a bigger dollar kind uh-huh. of project Big versus product. what we do. So for instance, Tailwater does have a portfolio company that's working on a project in Wyoming that is a CCUS project. Uh-huh. So, but for... Kind of what we're doing, um, you know, it might be somebody with who's invented a new solvent or has, yeah. some, and mm-hmm. so it's it's something that we've looked at, but it's yeah. harder for what further we're, afield for for your area. Exactly right. Did you guys make it to uh, Sarah Week at all? We, well, yeah, make it is is one we've we attended the uh, ancillary events of. Uh, Cocktail receptions. Fairness. Like I mean, there's that. a lot of value in those too. Plans. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's a it's an expensive conference and it for is a, for a small uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. A small shop like us on a shoestring budget. We um, got a lot of value from just having meetings in and around it. So. Well, the
1: reason I was asking is I did. I was lucky enough to get a ticket because, and I've been in this business for 20 years. This is the first year I've been, but it was a, there was a lot of hydrogen talk. That's why I was asking. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems like you know one of the questions that everybody was asking was regulatory issues, but a lot of people think that I mean that it is I mean, there is a big future in this. That's why I was asked, especially from a infrastructure standpoint, um, very tangible standpoint. And then one of the questions uh, I guess was plug, you know, kind plug of plug power. Plug power. Mm-hmm. See, uh, uh, asked was, you know, will we be standing up in five years saying, are we asking the same questions in five years? And I. When he said that, I really was thinking about our conversations that we have on this podcast, and how many times do we have great ideas and these really smart people, and you know, how quickly can some of these go from an idea to implementation? And when I'm listening to you, it sounds like you guys aren't—you don't want to be asking the same questions in five years.
4: Yeah, exactly. I mean, for us, it, it's not a matter matter of if hydrogen is going to be used, right? Like hydrogen is used in so many processes today, but it's a matter of what exact application right. is it going to be used in. And that's the question that's hard for us to underwrite. We don't know what sector of the value chain or what subsection of the value chain is going to be the value creation sector well, within hydrogen. And
1: that's what I, So I was looking at your website and it is it has a lot of areas of interest on purpose, obviously?
3: Yeah, it's on purpose. I mean, we want, we don't want to foreclose anyone reaching out and that has a good business idea. We want to make sure that we're seeing all the potential um, companies out there that are trying to raise money and, mm-hmm. and talking to as many as we can, because, um, you know, we have our ideas about, you know, where we want to focus, but also, you know, the, as you said, there's a lot of smart people trying to s- solve a a lot of problems these days and um, we don't want to to close the door on anyone that might have something that's that's groundbreaking okay
2: yeah well maybe it's a good segue to talk to us a little bit about the investments you have made so i think you've done three deals at least that's that's what we've we've seen on the website i think and so tell us a little bit about the companies and that'll give us a good idea of how you're translating this kind of conceptual investment process into actual
3: Sure. Well, so uh, Josh mentioned uh, hydrogen. We do have um, an investment that has a hydrogen angle to it, but it's really more of the the battery play. So it's a startup company that is um, called Elemental Recycling. They take uh, plastics, which is made from C's and H's, carbon, carbon and hydrogen, and they've got a process that cracks cracks it into its constituent elements. So. What comes out of that is hydrogen gas and um, carbon, but the carbon comes out in the form of a high quality graphite graphene. And that's an important um, component of battery um, anodes. So um, we're funding their first commercial plant. Um, They're actually, as a matter of fact, up um, in New York this week, watching the pressure test on, on the machine to make sure it holds pressure. And so we're hopeful that um, we'll see some product coming out of uh, of that. Where will the plant be here in Houston? It'll be here in Houston. Awesome! Yeah, so excited Love about that. that. Yeah, that's great. Um, but interestingly, the too. hydrogen piece of it is is kind of uh, it's ancillary at this point yeah. because in in the Houston market, there's not a lot of high use for for hydrogen given the yeah. the difficulties of storing, transporting, and everything else. Yeah. So.
2: So what is that? What happens to it? Does it just, just gets vented? It,
3: it'll get vented, flared. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. Uh, a- and so you're taking, pl- and, and so this is just a, is it a high... Why is it special? Why is recycling plastic special? Because
3: we've well, it's, been doing it for a long time. It it, it We have been doing it a long, for a long time. But, you know, as people have seen in the news over the last Couple of years, a lot of it is actually just going to be burnt in another country and actually not being efficiently recycled. So if we can take it in a low carbon process and produce a valuable critical mineral, you know, we're trying to produce more batteries in the United States that's used in the production of batteries. Um, that's a that's a big step forward
1: for us. You called it earlier waste to value. Is that what you were calling it?
3: Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, this is a this is right on point there. And you know, currently graphite is produced uh, either from mining or synthetically from pet coke which is uh, you know from a petroleum uh, product so this is a, a cleaner way to produce
1: it as well man i'm i'm hitting a home run on this podcast i know <laughs> i just i i wasn't sure but i hit. i'm just kidding yeah, today you, 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 this prep was a great you idea. thought and you knew yeah
2: and so does graphite sell for a, a high dollar number is that a big
3: yeah. So graphite and and then graphene, which is a really nascent market, can sell for you know seventy five dollars to up to a hundred dollars a pound. Now the hundred a
2: pound, not a yeah, ton, right? A pound, a pound.
3: Yeah. Um, and those those higher dollar prices are right now on real small scale. People are trying to research what what to do for graphene, but it's it's got. A huge potential for mm-hmm. strengthening materials um, could be in cements, could be in paints. Um, it's used in a lot of different things, so it's it's exciting.
2: And it's and in this instance, and, and it's you, green.
3: Yeah, it's green, and you're also taking basically trash, at, which has no value, mm-hmm. uh, very little value per ton per pound, and uh, and creating something very Kay.
2: valuable. And so you made the investment in the company when. Last summer. Okay, so summer of twenty two, and when do you think you generate first? When's the plant get finished, and when do you generate revenue?
3: Um, We're hoping that the plant will be finished this summer, and we're starting to generate revenue uh, this year. Okay, so
2: so pretty quick. If you're testing the machines Mm -hmm. now, it's pretty quick build for the facility. Exactly. Okay.
3: So it's 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 very exciting. I think there'll be you know there's going to be the you know time to work out the kinks and. Lower revenue at first as we kind of optimize things, mm-hmm. but um, um, we're very hopeful that we're going to see some good production this year. So
2: that's awesome. And just ballpark, how long does it take to pay out that facility roughly if it operates as you expect?
3: As we operate, <laughs> I, I, I don't even want to say it's it's so uh, silly, but it'll be a very quick payback. Fast. It's so very, it's, f- it's less a, than a few years. Or yes.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the technology was the key angle here. It's the technology and
3: and there. and as we were talking about earlier, it was something that had been they they've demonstrated. They have product that they've made. Um they've shown that the process. Mm-hmm. So it was an engineering um issue of making the machine of size and scaling up the machine scaling okay. and everything else. And that and so
2: that's the that's the risk that you guys took.
3: That's the risk that we're you didn't,
2: taking. You, yeah. did, you felt like it worked. You just didn't yeah. know if you can make a and machine big enough to work at size.
3: Exactly, right. and very comfortable that the market's there, yeah. that the product's gonna move. Um, so that was the key risk.
4: Okay,
2: so that's Element Recycling.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
4: Momentum Technologies okay. is another one we have. Uh, this is the lithium ion battery recycling business I, I alluded to earlier. Uh, we invested in this one in December of 2021. It was our very first investment. Um, we have made two rounds of investment in the company, so we continue to support it. And their secret sauce, you know, there's a lot of lithium-ion battery recycling businesses out there, or people trying to to make it in this business. Their secret sauce is that they're taking what existing companies are doing today. So think cycle, redwood, the big ones you've uh-huh. heard of that are out there and minimizing the process so you can co-locate your recycling at the source of your waste. So you have less transportation costs, you have less uh, needs for your, your operating inputs like acids and things. So it's a much cleaner process and should be lower cost um, on a smaller scale.
2: Okay, and so I'm gonna show my ignorance here. You know, Josh, you hit it out of the park. It's my, I'm, I'm standing at the plate here. So you said co-locate at the source of the waste. So where do these, where do the, are these batteries stacked up at a junkyard somewhere or are they at dealership? I mean, where's a where's a battery to be recycled? Where's that waste depot?
4: Yeah, so I mean, the upstream, the space is still very nascent, yeah. even though there are these businesses that are out there, they're in the public domain. Uh, the whole battery value chain is still very much in development so you can source it anywhere from kind of what you're saying like a junkyard with with batteries piling up and there, there's metals and and battery aggregators out there to uh, your second source of waste would be kind of manufacturing scrap so think about the gigafactories that are uh-huh. being built in the united states they produce a ton of waste just by manufacturing new batteries and so that needs to be reused and uh-huh. go back into new batteries. And then um, handheld devices as well. Your iPhone, um, huh. your computer, all that kind of stuff has a battery in it and that needs to be recycled as well.
1: Yeah, okay.
2: So co-locating is kind of one of the... But I would
4: bet
1: there's a lot of that out there though, right? I mean, there's it's you're probably in a competitive market though at some level to get yeah. it. Yeah,
4: it is a competitive market today. Um, handhelds and, and personal devices are obviously a very um, established industry. Everyone has iPhones, but the EV industry is still very early on. And so a lot of these battery recycling businesses are, quote, building the church for Easter Sunday type Mm -hmm. thing. They're building these massive facilities that are going to be in centralized locations that probably will be overbuilt in the near term uh, for the amount of end-of-life material yeah. there actually is and uh-huh. so people are building capacity you know for 2030 when there is going to be a lot of battery waste out there but but today um it, it's yet to be seen who's going to be supplying all of mm-hmm. that waste
3: yeah. that's what we think is cool about momentum is because there's not a lot of supply right now when you're waiting for these 10-year life plus ev batteries to kind of come to their end of life they're smaller scale so the other companies she mentioned, maybe there's f- their 50,000 ton, you know, type facilities to per year to be economic. We're talking about being economic on a local basis at a thousand tons per year, um, which is a competitive advantage, you know, in this period over the next decade when the black mass, which is the mass of recycled battery, is what they call it, uh, is in short supply. Uh-huh.
4: Yeah, and so they can go after. They can be competitive in the fact that they can go after different sources of black mass or end of life batteries that are more localized, mm. smaller, smaller sources that you know, Lifecycle and Redwood and these big companies don't have the luxury of spending time chasing because they need forty thousand tons per annum instead of a couple thousand tons per annum.
2: Okay, so Elemental el, is Element or Elemental? Elemental. Elemental and momentum, and so Wastelink is the third.
3: Wastelink is the third, I'll I'll be quicker on this one. That's okay, yeah. Um, Yeah, so this, um, and I I know I mentioned software, this has a software angle to it, but ultimately they're kind of a waste logistics business, and they're using software to optimize um, the industrial kind of, uh, commercial and industrial hazardous waste space. So they have, uh, an ERP, uh, uh, Inter- enterprise resource planning software that um, brokers use um, to um, submit submit waste profiles um, and e-manifests and things like this to um, treatment and disposal facilities. And since they see all that data through their software, they're able to provide logistics, um, direct you know significant volumes to to these uh, treatment and disposal facilities. So it's kind of an aggregator of this um, mm-hmm. this hazardous waste space. Yeah. so it's it's a bit different than the others there this is more of a circular economy type angle in that there's you know taking some trucks off the road optimizing a kind of a, a very, Stodgy industry where people are operating on a very low tech basis, yep. um, and so. But, but
2: uh, you're you're saying these guys, they're the software that does it,
3: or they're well, are they they actually have the, taking the, ownership. And they have you know? software. Um, they don't take any ownership. Um, the software is the tool um, that kind of collects volumes for them, but they do um, have assets that that facilitate volume movements from. Um, Brokers and originators okay. of hazardous waste to treatment okay. and disposal facilities.
2: So they're using they're using data and information to get smarter about how all this stuff moves around, and there's and value it, in knowing that.
3: Yeah, and making making it more efficient, it cuts overhead for their um, customers, but also they're able to um, you know optimize freight lanes for trucking, et cetera, like the, to to cut mm-hmm. costs so that they're able to share in some of that margin. Yeah.
4: To us, it looks like an infrastructure investment almost, or or a, a, a midstream investment in the fact that, you know, midstream pipelines aggregate commodity volumes, uh-huh. waste link aggregates waste volumes, uh-huh. and so we like that about it.
1: Yeah. How do you find these companies? How do you, the three different companies that you're investing in? How are you locating them? Or-
4: We've gotten really involved in the Houston startup community, to be to be honest, and and it, I think it's really served us well. Um, Momentum is was a graduate of the Halliburton Labs accelerator program. Okay. There's a lot of really great companies coming out of Halliburton. Uh, we continue to stay close to them, and and they're they're. Presenting a lot of innovative companies. Uh, Scott Gale
2: will feel very Scott, happy about hearing that. Yes. Yeah, uh, no guy.
4: Scott. No No Dale Winger. Um, they're they're great guys. Uh, Greentown Labs is also a great great source of mm-hmm. new companies. They're incubating a lot of real asset, innovative, early technology infrastructure type companies that we would be invested in. And so uh, Elemental Recycling was came out of Greentown Labs. And okay. so through that community, it, it's been great getting... The, the venture space is is very different than coming from the private equity or public equity space. It's so collaborative right. and everyone works together. Uh, so people are always showing, showing their friends deals because um, you want other like-minded, smart people to work with you on helping these companies grow.
2: I would assume there's sort of strength in numbers on the underwriting front as well. Absolutely. You love it, and three of your pals hate it, then it makes you love it a little bit less. I would assume, or it makes you underwrite harder at that point.
4: Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a risk management um, sanity check, if you well,
1: will. Well, but isn't there isn't there feedback that we've gotten that the venture world in Houston's not that great? It's a little tough for it to be a venture capitalist here in the, the Houston area. Haven't we heard that before on this?
2: Well I think I think it's all relative right I mean we've heard it's the the environment and the mindset is probably easier or better I hate to use the word I hate to say anything's better somewhere other than Houston but um, you know that it's just a more established ecosystem mm-hmm. on the coasts you know generally I think yeah I heard. mean
3: but I would also say that the companies that are coming up in the Houston area are different than the ones that come up in the Bay Area. Talk about that. Well, so, you know, and we mentioned the infrastructure angle. I think there's a different um, investment skill set of underwriting some of the super high tech, you know, um, companies that come out of Silicon Valley versus the ones that are from engineers that came out of Exxon or engineers that came out, you know, that came out of the Houston Mm -hmm. ecosystem and are solving a specific energy problem that they identified while they were in the conventional energy space. Right. And so that's what I think is so great about what's developing in Houston is that, you know, we have all of this knowledge about conventional energy and the problems that we need to solve. Great point. And it's um, mm-hmm. it's a, a different breed of startup is coming out It's almost here. an
1: advantage you guys have, really, to be, I mean, you're both Houstonians, I mean, the Fort Worth Houstonian people that you, it's not foreign to you to have grown up around this at all times of your life, other than the East Coast schooling, right? I mean, this is, you know these people, these families you've grown up with, you see the downstream, upstream, midstream, and to see kind of all of that and then what's needed, this is just a natural evolution in your careers as well. So you're probably seeing things that, because you you mentioned that we don't want technology. I bet you a guy in San Francisco's not saying that at all, right, he's probably, almost exclusively looking for some type of technology. I would think.
2: Or, or software. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm saying that's
1: right. And as
3: music, far so. as, you know, I agree with what you're saying about just kind of our our network here in, in Texas, but also just from our you know, our investment experience and tailwaters, you know, underwriting something that is turning into a project management that has an engineering component that's hard asset. That mm-hmm. is not something that is natural for a lot of VCs. Yeah.
2: So let's, let's talk about that a little bit because you're, you're investing in different things than you have earlier in your career. And so you were traditional energy people and now you're energy transition people. And I'm using those terms broadly. Right. And so talk about that, making that adjustment or change. I was going to say, talk about making that transition. It felt a little bit funny, <laughs> but, um, has it been easy? Has it been hard? What were the easiest parts? What were the hardest parts?
4: Yeah, so I mean, Alan and I both came from the oil and gas space originally. And the interesting part about all of this is, you know, we we, we mentioned we formed Freestone two years ago, right coming out of COVID was when we, we formed the company at that time, there was a lot of froth in the market and, and there were a lot of people entering the energy transition space that had not been there before for us we had already come from the energy industry and the molecule is the same the electron is the same the molecule is the same and so for us we already understood that the energy transition space is still very nascent the technologies that we're investing in are still very nascent and so we're learning as we go but i think everyone in the industry is and we have a we have a leg up because we grew up in oil and gas and we understand how energy and commodities work but the technologies themselves are, are new and and we're learning as we go
3: yeah there, there's not a lot of folks that have a 30 year uh, investing experience in the energy transition <laughs> yeah. right so right um, i think everyone's learning along the way but it's you're bringing all the same skill sets that you know you've developed uh, throughout
1: your career, to the I mean, I actually think that it's it's people just like you that are gonna do this. I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast, really, is to is to get our oil and gas, you know, friends and family to say, hey, let's pay attention to this because that experience and that little that little something that you can't learn quickly, right? That that you've seen over a 30-year career that will make the difference. I mean, honestly, I do believe that the transition will be sped up because of our only gas friends so yeah.
2: agree you mentioned frothy valuations and so if we jump in the slightly back not the way back machine but so you started this business as a spac we and did. so but it's not a spac anymore so take us through yeah take you, us through spacville
3: you mentioned ac as part of our yeah. uh <laughs> website so that that we we're kind of stuck with, but um, so because <laughs> we started as Freestone Acquisition mm-hmm. um, and we registered a SPAC, we're going to take it public. So this was in 2021, um, you know, and we, as we did our work in the space and saw all the companies that needed money, it we just came to the conclusion that there are a lot more companies that need growth capital um, then there are companies that are multi-billion dollar public company ready uh-huh. companies. And so we made a strategic decision to, to uh, step away from the SPAC. Um, it, it also helped us that there were five or six hundred SPACs out and yep. we just thought it was... So you a,
2: never went through the process. You didn't list. You were not trading.
3: No, we, we, yeah. We, yeah we went through the S1 process, had all of everything ready to go. And we hit the pause button and and decided to uh, pull our registration statement and not go forward. Which um, probably not to pat ourselves on the back. I think it was a great decision. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And you know, I think we're seeing a lot of specs wind up um, now, and they're all giving their money back. It's it's um, it's a tough vehicle to make work um, in a in a super competitive market. Um, Yeah.
2: I think it was a great vehicle when it was chasing fewer deals at smaller size. It, um,
3: right. It it it's, should be used for um, finding value that no one else has. Um, it's not should not be used to try to pay the, the highest price for um, a company in a competitive process. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Agree. So, so you're not a spac, even though we have AC in your in your website. Um, you know thinking of this so the SPAC was sort of the story of the past um, one of the stories that's in the current headlines I'm not sure exactly when the podcast will drop but I mean Silicon Valley Bank mm-hmm. is something that's been a very front and center around early stage companies and so how are you guys impacted or thinking about capital availability given what we saw at Silicon Valley
4: yeah so we were very fortunate to not personally have exposure to SVB and, and none of our portfolio companies did. And so thankfully, you know, we were very fortunate there. But I think there are several lessons to be learned from this. You know, the one very obvious one is people are diversifying their risk, um, making sure that they're they're investing across uh, their risk is diversified across asset classes. But I think the more important lesson here or the more important implication from it is that capital is just going to continue to be constrained over the next several years um you know we mentioned the frothy market a few years ago a lot of air came out of that last year tech obviously got um pummeled in the markets last year and venture for sure more broadly Uh um climate tech really has been a little bit insulated from that downturn we saw last year because of just the really significant macro tailwinds behind the industry more broadly has sort of put a floor on valuations. But, and, and so they've been, the, the companies have been insulated a little bit from the, the broader downturn, but now you've got access to capital being constrained. And so for our portfolio companies, it's okay. We need to continue to support them as we mentioned throughout their life cycle, because they may not be able to go out and raise third party capital as quickly. Um,
2: so do you think, do you think your peers will be slower to make incremental commitments, you know, equity commitments, or is it, cause I mean, earlier stage companies don't use a lot of debt. So. Right. I is mean, it the equity availability that's the follow through to the, to the debt availability or now folks are just scared. And so the wallet gets tighter.
4: Yeah, and I think venture firms are going to be pickier about which companies they continue to follow on. I mean, you know, a venture f- a venture fund is typically comprised of initial investments and then follow on investments, and so making sure that they have enough dry powder left in the fund to make those follow on investments to continue to support their their companies that they like through maybe a lull of of financing, I think, is going to be paramount. Yeah
3: yeah and and it's it's the follow-ons it's also the initial investing piece and and frankly i think it's all good for us because you know we're structured a little bit differently our partner in tailwater is a little bit more patient on what we're doing um but you have on the initial side you have management teams a lot of whom have their head in 2021 still looking for initial raises or a or maybe it's a series b with valuations that no longer make sense in the current marketplace. And for us, um, we like to see valuations come down. We like to see um, less capital flowing to the space. So we have, um, you know, we're always discerning, but that'll just create more opportunities for us to put money to work.
2: And so have you seen anything yet? I mean, were you were you close to something that you said this is worth a $50 million valuation and now it's 40? Or I think
3: we're seeing more of right now over the last several months deals hanging out for a long time. That yep. It just is clear that they're having a hard time um, raising money. And the, and so I think the next leg down is adjustment in valuation. How and long has that been happening?
2: Deals hanging out. Right.
3: Yeah, I would say that we started seeing that phenomenon, you know, last mid last year. Um,
4: Certainly in Q4 at a minimum. And, yeah. You know.
3: And um, it, which it, we like to see because sure. it's, there's some crazy stuff that was going on. So
2: it, it does feel, I mean, there's an inevitability here around um, just generally valuations across almost all asset classes were high. You know, it, it yield, it yield, Yieldy things were very low yield, and um, tech stuff was very high values, right? VC um, stuff, many multiples of revenue or whatnot. And so uh, it, it does feel like this is just another leg in the sort of normalization of, of values. Yeah. So not great if you're a, an existing company trying to raise money, pretty great if you're you know, uh, try, trying yeah. to allocate capital, I, I would guess. Interesting. Um, I, you were going to say something.
1: No, I was agreeing with you. I mean, it's, it, it goes back to manage your expenses. Yeah. You don't get yourself in a position where you have to get capital. Right.
2: Yeah. So you're, you're, th- you have three companies in your business. How many do you expect to have? You know, so in other words, if you're three out of four, then that puts you in, you, would now you're thinking about exits or eventual exits and that's going to get tougher for a while, no, but now I've
1: looked at their website. There's a lot of things you've got to fill up. <laughs> yeah. There. So we're, we're going true. to keep going yeah. and you're young. Yeah. So we got to keep going. That's true. I mean, um, we don't have a,
3: a set number of investments that we're targeting, but, um, certainly hope to make a couple more investments this year. Um, you know, tail, tailwater will also be, you know, raising new funds. And so, you know, maybe there's a, Freestone stone to down the line mm-hmm. or, or other ways that we, um, skin the cat. Yeah. But, um, how we, long a
2: hold period do you typically think you're going to, you know, waste and elemental and, and momentum you, you've invested in the last couple of years Are these 10 year things or five year things or,
3: uh, I mean, we're hopeful that they're five to seven year type hold periods. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, they are early stage. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're um, pragmatic and, I guess, uh, rat- <laughs> we had, we're wi- eyes wide open about yeah. you know, timing on these things.
2: And, and where, will, where will your, are your exits going to be str- to strategics, to bigger PE funds, or who do you think buys your companies over time, or is the next level of capital?
4: Yeah, I mean, I th- obviously it's case specific, but strategics have been acquisitive. There, there's certain strategic we have our eye on for each investment. I mean, certainly for WasteLink, we think a strategic is is probably the the right exit there. And lithium-ion battery recycling space, you know, right. is yet to be seen. That changes I think a lot. I think too. Yeah, I think there's a a lot of potential acquirers there, um, within the battery value chain. And same with Elemental. I think you can go. Somewhere strategic within the battery value chain, or or somewhere on the waste uh, feedstock side as well. So definitely strategics, and you know, one thing we've seen is strategics are are acquisitive. I mean, they have been acquisitive, they've been active, and they're certainly trying to incubate companies of their own as well. They all have corporate venture groups, and so we see that as as probably the ultimate path, but but obviously yet to be seen.
3: Yeah, and I think down the line, and I. IPO could be a fit for a, a couple of them as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, 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 it's so early. early. So, uh, you, can,
2: you can sell one to a SPAC. Y-
3: y- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if long, there are any spacks left. Yeah. We'll make them transfer all their, uh, sponsor economics. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know that gig.
2: So we've talked about the specifics, the practicalities of deploying capital and energy transition. If we zoom way out, um, is is net zero and conservation and all that is that part of what you're all about do you believe in net zero how do you think about the energy transition as a as a practical goal
4: yeah so i mean we mentioned we we came from the energy the traditional energy space mm-hmm. originally and so i think our view is an all of the above approach you know we believe that natural gas is a huge part of the future of america's energy sources as well as wind and solar and batteries and and everything else and so i think we view energy transition a little bit more broadly and we in that definition we would include things that are making incremental changes today a lot of people get focused on well what does this look like in 2050 you know we're in we want to invest in things that can make an impact on emissions or waste or or whatever it is today not Twenty years from now, because mm-hmm. making changes today is just as or more important than than what it's going to be twenty years from now.
1: What are your what are your oil and gas friends? How do you describe what you do to them?
4: I think everyone in the oil and gas space understands the energy transition, and and if they don't, they they maybe have their blinders on or something. They they have to understand it because their companies are investing in it too. I mean. You guys have seen it all of the oil majors have venture groups where they're in trying to figure out what what's next for their business is it us continuing to produce oil and gas and and in investing in carbon capture or is it something else that we can collectively uh, solve as the oil and gas industry <laughs>
3: I will say it's easier than explaining it to my doctor friends. (laughs) They have no idea. Right. Yeah, Yeah,
2: It's still a complicated thing.
3: Right. But yeah, I mean, to to Ellen's point, I mean, for me personally, you know, when I left Kane Anderson, part of it was, you know, still being, you know, having a good uh, piece of my career in front of me still. Um, I was focused exclusively on conventional, midstream investing. And you know, I just, I, I knew that it was gonna be something where if I wanna be doing something interesting and um, dynamic for the next 20 years of my career, it's, it was time for me to move into a different space. And so for me, being part of that solution was a, a big part of kind of why we started Freestone in the first place,
1: so. I mean, did you always wanna be an entrepreneur? and you just said, I want to do this in the energy transition space? Or, or I mean, is, are you saying they just, they well coincided so together? I, yeah, um, yeah or were for, you just
3: passionate about this? For me, um, you know, I, I've been, was in investing. I wanted to continue to be in, in investing, but I wanted to find a, a way to move into a growth space and to be doing something that um, I thought was important for the next you know dec- several decades. Okay. Yeah. yeah what about you Alan?
4: absolutely I mean same thing you know I wanted to be in a high-powered exciting industry and that that's what I viewed energy transition broadly as and for me personally I, if I look back on my career I've progressively gone to smaller and mm. smaller yeah. companies it doesn't um, get
2: much smaller than three at this point right <sighs> so. right
4: exactly and so um, I think it was always kind of trending towards starting something or joining a small group for me Um, and and it just so happened that it happened to be with Alan and uh, someone I work with before and and really respected so
2: that's great well you're you're being entrepreneurial in a business funding entrepreneurs so give 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 entrepreneurs some advice or if 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 there are a bunch of startups out there listening saying I'm calling Freestone tomorrow to get some money that's right what advice do you have for them? What's going to be the most successful way to raise capital in the next 36 months with an energy transition idea?
4: Yeah, Uh, startups are- You both both get to answer. (laughs) (laughs) Startups are inherently resource constrained entities. That's what a startup is. They are a group of entrepreneurs that are trying to raise capital and trying to create an innovation or something new. And so with that, comes time management, and to me, the most important part of all of that is people. Not hiring the right team can kill a company very, very quickly. Includes Freestone. We're 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 very lucky. We all um, get along really well. I think our culture at Freestone is great. And and I would extend that advice to founders as well. I mean, if you don't get along with your team, you're you're not going to make it. You you don't have enough resources yeah. for not everyone on the team to be pulling their weight and so having the ability to figure out how to motivate your team and make sure you're all rowing in the same direction i think is paramount
3: yeah i would agree with that the the team is hugely important to your point on near-term advice um, i think having resetting your valuation expectations um, forget what you heard your friend raised money at their valuation, you can forget all that. Think about the long-term and finding the right partner that's gonna support you in growing your business and creating value. And, you know, that's what what we're trying to do is we're trying to create win-win situations for us and the partners that we're investing in. And so it's not about what's your mark in a round that's, that's meaningless, ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's where where do you sell or IPO, and so the the capital raises along the way um, are are less meaningful. Just keep your eye on the on the long term value creation. That's what I would say.
2: Keep your eye on the prize.
3: Yeah,
1: you know the only hard part about shrinking down from a big company to a small company is I I tell people this all the time. It's it's harder to run a small business than it is a big business because you have to be there's no off days for leadership and you can't hide you know not that you want to hide in a big company by any means but you know you can have a bad day and you just go to your office and you don't have to answer 20 questions but when you're one of 3 or 10 or whatever your number you guys get to you don't get that luxury <laughs> like you have to just be on more days than not so you know you're going to you're going to love it i'm 2 years into it i'm sure you guys sound like you're having a great time i i I'm, i want to hear more stories and we'll have you back on here um, and it's, I just, I can't wait to hear more of what your team looks like as you guys grow, but the transition from, you know, whatever you've come to, to, to three and then how you grow, i I'll be curious to hear how that growth goes. And I mean that in the most positive way, it's just, it's very, it's very tough to lead small teams and keep culture as you guys grow. So I wish you the best of luck on that, not wrapping up, but I just, as an entrepreneur myself, I just, I encourage new teams in that sense. Cause, um, It's just, you know, you at some point, it's just you, you got to wake yourself up and look yourself in the mirror and go every day. So, truly the best. We get that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Anything that, any last topics we ought to talk about before we go to our famous lightning round discussion?
3: I think we're ready for the yeah. famous lightning let's round. Do famous the, let's lightning do the lightning round. round. Yeah, we there we this. go. This so is you guys know this. This is how people we, we'll, we'll heard learn, it. We'll
2: learn, <laughs> try not to talk over each other. Especially. Yeah, more about you than than well they both did the to answer questions. Right? Come on. Yeah, well okay. absolutely. So we'll do it. You want to kick us off Oh, with the I like, lightning so round okay, you know the
1: rules. Th- right? Single single word, one answer. I've I've always screwed this up, so good luck with it. You ready? We'll start with you. Okay. Okay. Wind or solar? Solar. Solar.
2: Yellowstone or Ted Lasso?
3: Ted Lasso is two words. Uh,
4: Ted Ted Lasso for sure. Ted. Okay.
1: Two Ted's. Uh, Cash or crypto? Cash. Absolutely cash. Okay.
2: You know we have not had many cryptos.
1: Since we started this podcast. Thirty. Well, Bitcoin's up this week.
2: Yeah. It's It's it's, it's making a move. for 2023, the rest of 2023, I think the S and P is about 4,000 as we speak. Are you bullish or bearish?
3: I'm bearish. I
4: sideways. Okay.
1: Sideways, you cheated the system
3: on that. <laughs>
4: Sorry. <laughs>
1: Cybertruck truck or the Ford F-150? Ford F-150.
3: F-150. Okay.
2: F-150 gasoline or F-150 lightning?
3: Well, I could actually buy a, a gasoline one, so I'll go with the gasoline.
4: <laughs> also gasoline, but not for the same reason. Uh, the infrastructure is not yet in place today, in my opinion. We need to invest in the infrastructure for well, the Lightning.
1: You're per- cheating, These Ellie. guys did not you're hear cheating. the rules to the game. This is great. <laughs> it's fine. Um, yeah, let's just ask this wonderful question and get a one-word <laughs> answer <laughs> here. Does the UK- Ukraine conflict continue into
4: 2024? <laughs> yes or Yes or no. <laughs> I hope not.
1: <laughs> mm, yes. Yeah. Whataburger or Five Guys? Whataburger.
4: Whataburger, absolutely. Yeah.
1: I really like Five Guys. You're now you're cheating. I'm sorry. Am I up? Yeah. Sorry, I blew this. Um, bank stocks or energy stocks?
4: Energy stocks.
3: Certainly energy right now.
2: Taylor Swift or Ed Sheeran?
1: Uh, I'm too old for that. I guess Taylor Swift. <laughs> okay. I got called out the other day. The lady said a Swifty. And I, I go, what is this? Yeah. Do you know what a Swifty is? Obviously, it's Taylor Swift, but anyway, I believe this. Um, work from the office or work from home? I, I'm an office guy.
4: I, I'm a home girl.
1: Okay.
2: Do you think we'll see another IRA type bill here in the U.S. in the next three years?
4: No.
1: No. Um, University of Houston or Alabama for the March Madness champion. UT. <laughs> Houston.
2: <laughs> Have to be and, realistic. Yeah. And, and my favorite, my favorite, and the only consistent question in our lightning round: Will the Houston Texans make the Super Bowl in the next decade?
4: No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately my heart. I'm a, I'm a Cowboys fan. <laughs> hey so.
1: now. Uh, there we go. We are just a mess. Hopefully we get our stuff together. We got rid of Zeke this week. Yeah. Uh, you mean since 1997? Yeah. Or are you talking about lately? <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
2: We've been uh, very lucky to be joined by the folks from Freestone today. www.freestone, F-R-E-E-S-T-O-N-E-A-C.com. Alan Wilkerson, Alan Boswell. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Very thank much you guys for having, having us. us. That was great. Thanks guys. Great job.